I will say as I begin uh, this short, not an exhaustive exposition, but just a, a few thoughts on these verses. Um, this has hit home with me. It's been something that I have needed to look at and to contemplate. Uh, when I am speaking to you tonight, a lot of what's in my heart is coming out of what has happened in our recent past and the events that actually brought us to be a new church. Um, so keep that in mind as we go through this. Some initial thoughts on Romans 12 as we discussed before. Uh, Romans starts with the first 11 chapters uh, where we learn great doctrines, the doctrine of sin, the depravity of man, uh, our justification and sanctification and wonderful truths, and then on into chapters 9 through 11 where we see Israel's present rejection but future restoration and God's sovereignty in all. And then we get into chapter 12, and as we discussed before, Everything in chapter 12 is taught in light of verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What does it mean to present your body a living sacrifice? Well, if you read on through chapter 12, that's what it looks like. Uh, we first looked at our duty toward others. Uh, in verses 1 and 2, it's our relationship to God. And then we expanded that to our relationship in the church and exercising spiritual gifts and talking about loving those who are our friends and our brothers. And tonight we're moving on to loving those who have been and are our enemies. <clears throat> when talking about loving our friends, it really just boils down to that love. Our life is to be about love. It's a reflection of what Christ has done for us. That love is to be affectionate. It describes it as a brotherly love. It is to be respectful because we are to give preference to one another in honor. Or as Philippians 2 says, to consider others more important than ourselves. It is to be a liberal giving love, contributing to the needs of the saints a very sympathetic love toward one another where we weep with those who weep and we rejoice with those who rejoice. It is a love that makes us united because we are to be of the same mind. Or as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, that you all agree and there, there be no divisions among you. <clears throat> it is to be a condescending love because we are not to be haughty in mind but associate with the lowly. And it is a love that engages us with other people, if possible, as far as it depends on us, that we would live at peace with all men. James 3.17 says the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable. So I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Look in Romans 12, starting in verse 17. By the way, these verses are something that all of us have failed in. And I'm confessing to you tonight that I have failed in this over the last couple of years to a significant degree. Repay no one evil for evil. 
but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you have enemies? Can you count them? I can tell you that up until a couple of years ago, Pam would probably testify to this, that I had said, you know, I read in the Bible about enemies. I can probably count on one hand the number of people that I would consider an enemy of mine. Uh, over the last two years, I haven't had enough fingers and toes. Uh, I've had more enemies in some respect than I'd had previously. Do you have enemies who are outside the church? In all honesty, I've never had much trouble with people outside the church. Do you have enemies inside the church? As I said earlier, I have uh, been given the opportunity and the responsibility to lead in different ways over the years. <clears throat> the greatest troubles that I have faced in my life have been dealing with people who call themselves by the name of Christ and don't act like it. And they are either people within the church who are immature and ungodly believers, or they are tares among the wheat, or goats among the sheep. One thing that we stand for at CCBC, which I've never had as being a part of my church, is meaningful membership. You wonder why we go through membership classes, membership interview. It's because we take seriously the people that we have to come join this body because they need to be believers. This is the body of Christ. A person who doesn't know Christ doesn't need to be a member. They just need to hear the truth. And we can't know everybody's heart, so we can't judge in every case whether someone is a genuine believer or not, but at least we can make an honest effort to see if their life gives witness that they are a believer in Christ. But if you are a believer, and if you desire to live as God calls you to live, you will be persecuted in some way. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, 2 Timothy 3.12. I would suggest to you that if you don't have any enemies, you may be trying to go incognito. Maybe you're trying to take the advantages of being a believer in the gifts that God has given you, but you're not willing to make the sacrifice to stand firmly in the face of opposition and accept persecution. Jesus said, woe to you when all men speak well of you. Woe to you. Instead, he says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you when men cast insults at you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on account of me. You know, Jesus had enemies. There's a bunch of them sitting right here and one standing right here. We were enemies of Christ. 
How did he respond to us? Romans 5, 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Jesus was hated. In John 15, starting in verse 18, Jesus said, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name. Because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have, have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. And here's a key verse in this passage. He says, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. And this is a reference back to the Old Testament. Jesus said they hated me without a cause. That refers back to Psalm 69, verse 4. And here's what it says. This is David speaking of himself, but many times in the Psalms, there may be something that David says of himself. It's also, it becomes a reference to the Messiah. And it says, those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. When I count, it takes a few fingers or toes. <laughs> when Christ counted, it was more than the hairs of his head, according to scripture. So we... If we desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, we'll be hated. We'll be, we will be persecuted in some way or another. The question is, how are we to respond? Let me ask you this question. Is it okay to be angry? In verse 9 of Romans 12, it said, abhor what is evil. That means hate what is evil. So is it okay to be angry at times? Absolutely. In fact, in Ephesians 4.26, it says, Be angry and yet do not sin. Even the most mature of Christians in the heat of the moment can feel outrage. Ecclesiastes 7.7 7 says, Oppression makes a wise man mad. <laughs> We're expected to respond to injustice and ill treatment of ourselves and our fellow men. Being a Christian does not neuter your emotion. In fact, it sometimes elicits a greater outrage because God has shown you right and wrong, what is true and what is evil. And I don't know about you, but I grow weary of evil. I see it in my life. I see it on TV. I see it in our society. And we want to see it dealt with, and we want to see it dealt with now. Outrage, when you're wronged, is good, but here's the point of this lesson. Acting on it is bad. Yes, we should feel outrage about evil. Yes, we should feel outrage when one of our brothers is offended. 
but even greater when God is offended and his honor is dragged through the mud. I'm going to give you four brief points that I see in these verses. Point number one is don't take up your enemy's sword. Verse 17 says, repay no one evil for evil. That means don't pay back in kind. Don't emulate your enemy. Because when you do that, evil wins. It is the victor. Proverbs 17, 14 says, the beginning of strife is like the letting out of water. So abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. If we went out to Hoover Dam and we knocked a big hole in the bottom of it, how much water is going to come out? All of it. And that's the beginning of strife. If we respond in anger and act in anger, it's like the letting out of water. We don't want just an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. It's like you take my eye, I'll take your body. We want payback. We want to make sure nobody ever does that to us again. That's our natural fleshly response. I used to love playing football when I was in high school because when somebody hit me, I could hit them back as hard as I wanted to, and it was legal. (laughs) You didn't get a flag for it. But that's not the way we are to respond as Christians. You ever remember what your mom said? Two wrongs don't make a right. If you return evil for evil to a friend who has wronged you, then you're going to lose him as a friend. If you return evil for evil to an enemy, then you will never gain him as a friend. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Here's what Christ has to say. Matthew 5, starting in verse 38, You have heard that it is said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. That's the way of Christ. So don't take up your enemy's sword. It just lowers you to the same level, and really your behavior is no better than theirs. Point number two you can lose your witness. Again in verse 17, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Although our society has deteriorated to an incredible point, I think people in general still know right and wrong. They still have a conscience. And when they see right, they know it. When they see wrong, instinctively, they know it. When we respond to evil with evil, Though it may feel good coming out of you at the time, uh, you now have lost your right to preach. You've lost your right to speak the truth and to bring glory to God because what you say is meaningless unless it's backed up with how you live your life and what you do. So you've done no better than them and you have lost your witness. If you're driving down Rogers Avenue and some guy's angry and he thinks you got in his way, and he blows his horn and he waves at you with a sign that's not very kind, what are you to do? Smile, let him go. What you don't do is you don't hit the accelerator and fly past him doing whatever as he reads the bumper sticker on the back of your car, follow me to Chaffee Crossing Baptist Church. 
or in case of the rapture, this vehicle will be unoccupied. It's not the way to respond. We are commanded to do what is right. Jesus in Matthew 5, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Right is generally honored by all men. People are watching. People watch me drive down Rogers Avenue. I have people all the time say, I saw you driving down Rogers Avenue. I thought, oh boy, <laughs> better slow down. But you can lose your witness because people are watching. Our forgiving, kind behavior in the face of provocation should commend us to them and to others who witness our behavior. And if we do that, we will do what Blake mentioned in Titus 2.10 this morning. We will adorn the doctrine of Christ our Savior in every respect. That's what we're called to do. Proverbs 19.11 says, A man's discretion makes him slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook a transgression. In verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. It may not be possible. Peacemaking is a two-way street, but we are to only go one way, and that is to make peace. You remember the story when the soldiers came to get Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? It was probably a common response in the day. Peter just pulled his sword and going to take the guy's head off. And I'm assuming he ducked and the sword took his ear off. There's places in the Bible I would love to have been there to see that. I would love to have seen Jesus to pick up the ear of Malchus and put it back on. And it's healed. No stitches, no surgical glue, no plastic surgeon. Just And he basically tells Peter... No more. You live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. That's not the way to respond. If there is to be trouble, they are the ones who are going to break the peace, not us. Point number three, revenge belongs to God, not to us. Look in verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Leave it to God. That means to leave room for him to act, to give God an opportunity to take care of the situation. When I was studying this, it was a, I thought of a great example back in Genesis chapter 50 at the end of the book. If you remember Joseph, how his brothers had sold him into slavery. He'd been without family at times. He'd been in prison, yada, yada, yada. And finally, his brothers had to come begging. And at the end of that story, it says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of God, of the God of your father. Here was Joseph's response. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? I'm not God. 
I'm not the one you are to fear. <laughs> As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them, and he spoke kindly to them. After all of that, I'm not God. I'm not going to take his place. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to try to bring retribution against you. And he loved them. And he provided for them and provided for their family. And he spoke kindly to them. Incredible, incredible example. Wrath is an attribute of God. And it doesn't look very good on us. When it says leave room for the wrath of God, the Greek word there is topos, T-O-P-O-S. Leave it to God. Provide an opportunity. In Ephesians 4.26, there's that familiar verse that says, Be angry, and yet do not sin. And it goes on to say, Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. Same Greek word, topos. Basically, if we don't give God the opportunity, and we try to take care of it ourselves, we're really giving the devil the opportunity. If we take our own revenge, we are doing the work of the evil one. James 1.19, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Why? Because the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Let God achieve his own righteousness and deal with sin. If we respond in kind, our integrity is destroyed the offender has a sense of justification that what he did was okay. God is the sovereign king. He is the righteous judge. To him it belongs to administer justice because he is a God of infinite knowledge and we are not. His actions are weighed in a perfect balance. He is a God of infinite purity who hates sin and cannot look upon iniquity with favor, Habakkuk 1.13. So leave God room. Point number four, and this is the last one, kindness converts. Verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't give your enemy vengeance. Give him help and kindness and grace. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. It sounds like if you're doing that, that you're, you're punishing him. In fact, you're hurting him, burning him. I read in a commentary that this really comes from an old Egyptian ritual. When a man wanted to dis, uh, display or demonstrate his public shame and guilt and wanted to show his spirit of repentance, he would carry on his head a pan of burning coals representing the burning pain of shame and guilt. So when we don't take revenge, but instead do good to our enemy, in the light of your goodness, he can see his evil. He may feel his shame, and he may come to repentance. So do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
One final thing I'd like you to do, if you'll turn over to Psalm 4. Psalm 4. This is a great passage on how to deal with anger. I can tell you that over the last two years, I have not handled... uh, First of all, I've had more anger in the last two years than I've had in my lifetime. And I've not always handled that well. In fact, I've spent way too much time dwelling on what happened convincing myself of what was wrong and being angry and irritated at those who did what they did. I have lost sleep at night worrying about that or fretting fretting about that when I should not have. But let's look at Psalm 4 real quick and then we'll close. This is David and he says, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. He's saying, God, I have a problem. I have distress. Wrong is being done to me, and I'm praying to the God of righteousness. Verse 2. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? David has done nothing wrong. It says, how long will you love vain words and seek after lies? David had enemies. He was being done wrong. He had done nothing wrong. Now, you have to remember 1 Peter in chapter 4 says, By no means let any of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. If you're being persecuted for that reason, that's on you. (laughs) But if anyone suffers as a Christian... Let him not feel ashamed, but in that name, as a Christian, let him glorify God. So David is hated for all the right reasons. If we're going to be hated, if we're going to have enemies, let's make sure it's for the right reasons. Verse 3, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call. God is his comfort. He is his refuge in the storm. And look at verse 4. And this is quoted in Ephesians 4.26. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. In other words, don't lose sleep over it. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't go to bed hating. And in verse 5, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. God, you're in charge. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. Give God a place for vengeance. In verse 6, there are many who say, who will show us some good? In other words, some people may be saying, what are we going to do about this? How are we going to handle this situation? God is watching. He will deal with it. Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Verse 7, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. I should have let it go and let God take care of it. I am called to love the people who caused the offense. I am called to show kindness to them. Do I have to agree with them? No. Does it make, or did it make me angry and should it make me angry? I believe so. 
but I should not sin in the process. I have not done any of them harm physically, but I have caused some harm by words I've said. If I see them somewhere, it has been hard to even look at them and be kind. That's not right. I should be kind to them and care about them. And maybe it will heap burning coals upon their head. I don't know. That's up to God. I have to leave place for him. So in closing, as we go to the Lord's Supper, let me tell you one other passage that's been helpful to me during this time. It's encouraging to me and it's convicting to me. And that's Hebrews 12, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Um, this week I was watching TV and they had a guy, he was a former military guy who had been in Afghanistan. All you could see was from here up, he had a nice coat and tie and he looked very healthy, <clears throat> very intelligent. He was upset about the fact that we left and there were still Americans that were left there. And the person who was the host on the show said, well, we want you to know that we honor your sacrifice. Well, then it became evident that what you couldn't see was that he had no legs. He had served in Afghanistan and he had lost both of his legs, presumably by a roadside bomb. And this host was honoring him for his sacrifice. You know what he said? <laughs> That's just a scratch. The people who really paid the price were the ones who gave it all and they lost their life. And I thought, man, what an incredible response. I mean, this guy, he was, at some point, he was hanging between life and death. And in God's sovereignty, he was spared. And he still lives and has an opportunity to live. But this Hebrews passage goes on to say, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Whatever we've been through, it's a scratch. What Christ went through, he gave it all. He was the Lord of glory who only wanted to come and die and sacrifice himself for you and for me. And what did he receive? He was beaten in the face. His beard was plucked. He was spit upon. He was scourged almost to the point of death. He had nails put through his hands and his feet and a crown of thorns on his head. He was mocked. And what did he do? He prayed for them. He forgave them. While being reviled, he did not revile in return and not a word came out of his mouth. He led one of the thieves to the knowledge of God. And one of his Roman executioners, when it was all said and done, said truly, this man is the Son of God. This man has a nobility that can only be explained by his nature. He is divine. That's what God has done for us. That's what Christ did in response to those who hated him 
and he calls us to do better than I have done over the last two years. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way it challenges us, for the way it exposes our hearts for what we truly are. Father, I pray forgiveness for the not just anger, but maybe even hatred that I have had in my heart towards some. And for anyone here who has sensed the same thing, I pray that we would just be able to lay it down and leave room for your wrath and allow you to deal with it and take care of it as you choose. It is our responsibility not to respond in anger, but to respond in love, in kindness, and if there's some way that we can help those who have offended us, then we are to do so. If it is possible, we are to live at peace with all men. And Father, we pray that you would give us the grace that we might do that. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.